You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now let's examine some claims from other schools of thought. One claim that they have made is that Bukhari narrates a hadith attributed to the Prophet in which the Prophet supposedly said that my uncle Abu Talib because he refused to believe in me, yes he did support me but I asked him to believe in me on his deathbed when he was dying. I told him, Ya Am, my uncle, if you believe, I will do shafa'a for you. Unfortunately, he didn't. Therefore, on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will keep him in lahdahin min nar. Lahdah in Arabic is a shallow fire. So the Prophet says, in the end, I did do shafa'a for him. He was supposed to go to the lowest levels of hell. Who's supposed to go? The one who defended the Prophet. The one who would ask his sons to sleep around the Prophet. The one who sacrificed this, the position and the status of his tribe. He's supposed to go to the lowest pit of hell. I don't know why, for what reason, why the lowest pit of hell? What did he do for that? He's, he became worse than other pagans, right? Because other bacons don't have to go to the lowest pits of hell, they just go to hell. But Haram, Abu Talib, he, he goes to the lowest pit of hell. The Prophet says, okay, but now that you died as an unbeliever, then I will do shafa'a for you. So instead of being burned in the lowest levels of hell, you know, those deepest levels, Allah will put you in a shallow fire. It goes up to your ankle. But because it's so hot, this is Bukhari, it says as a result of that shallow fire, the brain of Abu Talib will boil. These are the actual words of Bukhari. Can you believe what they say about the uncle of the Prophet who supported him, who sacrificed everything that he had for him, his brain is going to boil for eternity. So they mentioned this hadith in Bukhari. First of all, the chain of this hadith is weak, Alam al-Amini, in his beautiful book, he's demonstrated that even according to Sunni standards, the narrators of this hadith are not reliable. So even when you look at the chain of the hadith, it's disqualified. Number two, this hadith contradicts Sahih hadiths that we have that state Abu Talib did have faith. Number three, these hadiths themselves are highly contradictory. When you look at the details and the claims that they do, they make their contradictory. Some of them claim that the Prophet said, okay, my shafa'a is not going to help you. Some of them say, no, my shafa'a is going to help you. My shafa'a will save you from the deepest levels of hell. It will take you to a shallow hell. That in itself is contradictory when you have these narrations. And this narration does not even make sense, by the way. Because Allah either accepts the shafa'a of the Prophet or He doesn't. If Allah wants to accept the shafa'a of the Prophet and He can take him, pull him out of the lowest levels of hell, just take him out of hell. Why take him to a shallow hell? 
And if Allah doesn't want to accept the shafa'ah of the Prophet here, He's not going to accept it. So what's this little middle shafa'ah here that's taking him from one part of hell to another part? It's just nonsense. This is not something the Prophet would do. This is not something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would do. So this is one hadith that they have mentioned. But here's the most problematic aspect of this hadith. This hadith claims that when Abu Talib was on his deathbed dying, the Prophet asked him to become a Muslim, he refused. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals a verse in the Holy Quran which condemns Abu Talib and it makes it clear that he died as a mushrik. What is that verse? Let's pull that verse and see how they tried to implement this on Abu Talib. So we find this verse in Surah At-Tawbah, verse number 113. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, مَا كَانَ لِلنَّبِيِّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنْ يَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ Allah says the Prophet or the believers do not have the right to do istighfar, to ask for the forgiveness of who? The mushrikeen. وَلَوْ كَانُوا قُرْبًا Even though those mushrikeen can be your relatives. مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُمْ أَصْحَابُ الْجَحِيمِ When it became clear to the Prophet and the believers that they are the people of hell by staying mushrik. What does Bukhari and other books claim? That this verse was revealed when Abu Talib refused to become Muslim, he died as a pagan, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited the Prophet from doing istighfar for Abu Talib. What's problematic about this claim? This is verse 113 of Surah At-Tawbah. When was Surah At-Tawbah revealed? The very end of Medina. When did Abu Talib die? In Mecca, which year? Year 10 after the Ba'tha. So Abu Talib passed away a good 10, 11, 12 years before Surah At-Tawbah was even revealed on the Prophet. So how can God send a verse when Abu Talib was dying? That in itself exposes their fabrications. That they fabricated this hadith and they tried to falsely attribute this verse to Abu Talib. This verse was revealed in Medina, 13 years, 12 years after Abu Talib died. What does it have to do with Abu Talib? But the hadith, the Sunni hadith claims that when he refused to believe as he was dying or when he died, Allah revealed this verse. This is problematic. This in itself reveals that there's a problem with some of these hadiths. They've cited some other verses, they all have a similar problem. So the verse which they cite was revealed much later and it cannot be applicable to Abu Talib. So that's one counter argument to some of these hadiths that they have brought forward. Now Abu Talib, by the way, he did practice taqiyya. Even though he would clearly show his faith on certain occasions, but he never made a public announcement that he was a Muslim. Why? See, the only way that Abu Talib could have been seen kind of neutral and objective 
by the other pagans and for him to have his tribal status so he can support the Prophet was by practicing taqiyya. Because if Abu Talib would have openly declared his Islam in Masjid al-Haram and he would have said the Shahada clearly in front of everyone, then obviously he will have taken sides, he would have been with the Prophet and uh, you know in his same camp and the Quraysh would have attacked the Prophet without fearing anything anymore because now Abu Talib is with the Prophet, that's it, he lost his status. We're not going to try to negotiate with him, we're not going to keep his position. Abu Talib had to do taqiyya to effectively support the Prophet because when you do taqiyya, you're still seen kind of neutral, right? You're being objective and Abu Talib was telling them, no, you have no right to fight Muhammad, you know, he's not bringing anything that's false, everything that he says is true, but he's not openly taking sides by declaring his shahada because the minute you do that, you lose your status as someone whom they wanted to negotiate with. One could argue that this is maybe why some Sunnis believe that he died as an unbeliever, but, but if you look at the proof, when you put the clues and the pieces together, it's very clear that he died as a believer. And even back then, remember, when we look at those early days of Islam, no companion, even during the time of Muawiyah had this thought. It was very clear to them that he was a believer, but he was instructed by God or the Prophet not to declare his Islam. Well, the taqiyya is in the Quran because Shia taqiyya was more applicable to them. It became a sectarian issue. Today, the average Sunni will tell you there is no taqiyya. But if you ask him about the verse of Ammar ibn Yasir, which we discussed, right? Well, what's that? That was an act of taqiyya. So taqiyya is well established in the Sunnah of the Prophet and in the Holy Quran. But today, taqiyya has become synonymous with Shia. So yes, initially they will reject taqiyya, but it's well founded in the Holy Quran. So Abu Talib was a man of faith. Abu Talib had the utmost faith, but yes, he would not always declare it. Sometimes he would, like in his lines of poetry. These lines of poetry, he did not say them very privately. No, sometimes he made <laughs> public statements, but he was very careful. He would not always make public statements like that in order to be seen as neutral. But when you look at his life, is it possible that he didn't believe in the message of the Prophet? Absolutely not. He believed in the message of the Prophet. You don't have to publicly come in Masjid al-Haram and say, I'm a Muslim in order for you to be a Muslim. When you believe in God, he says, I believe there's one God. When he says Muhammad is a prophet like Musa, well, what more do you want that you're a Muslim then? He doesn't have to come and openly say, I'm a Muslim. Yes, brother. He also handled the nikah. Well, that was before Islam. So they could argue even at that time there was no religion yet. The Prophet was born in Shab Abi Talib, yes. But how does that prove that he's a Muslim though? But their, their argument, their argument is that when he was born, there was no Islam yet. So it was okay for him to be born in, in a house like that. That would be their argument, that this is before the religion of Islam. But yes, that's a good point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not have his prophet being born on a 
piece of land, you know, owned by a pagan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors his Prophet. Or even having a non-Muslim perform the marriage ceremony. Or having, you know, a non-believer in God perform the marriage ceremony for the Prophet and Lady Khadija So all of the arguments that they have presented are weak arguments. They're just to defame Imam Ali Abu Talib, his biggest crime was what? that he was the father of Imam Ali And those who came, especially during the time of Ben al-Abbas, they wanted to disqualify Imam Ali, and so they said his father was a pagan. That was a way to discredit Imam Ali. Otherwise, there is no question on the faith of Abu Talib. In fact, there are hadiths Sunnis have narrated, Sunnis have narrated, that the Prophet came to Abu Talib as he was passing away. And he told him, Ya Am, you supported me, you kept ties with your family members, I will do such a shafa'a for you on the day of judgment, more than the shafa'a for all of creation. Everyone will be surprised at the shafa'a. So the Prophet in Sunni sources, he has been documented to say that to Abu Talib. Would he say that to someone who's an unbeliever? Of course not. Now one argument they've cited is that the Prophet did not pray on him. When he passed away, the Prophet did not pray on him. He commanded Imam Ali to wash him, to shroud him and to bury him. He never prayed on him and that indicates that he was not a Muslim because if he was a Muslim, he had to pray on him. What's the flaw with this argument? Salat al-Janazah was not yet instituted in Mecca. When did it become wajib? In Medina. So even when Lady Khadija, who's definitely a Muslim, the first Muslim, even when she passed away, did the Prophet do the Salah of Janazah on her? He did not. Why? Because the Salah was not be mandatory yet. It was in Medina that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it mandatory. Salat al-Janazah was in the early years. I don't recall the exact year, but it was definitely in Medina. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made it mandatory. So it was not mandatory. That's not an indication that he was not a believer. In any case, there are many, many proofs. It's an exhaustive list, if we want to go through it, about the faith of Abu Talib. 